morning, Awakenites. So uh, here we are, a year into the presidency of Donald Trump. That still feels a weird thing to say. And I know you're not supposed to bring politics and all that stuff into church. Whatever. You guys are adults and grown-ups. You know your own mind. And, and uh, I just want to say this past week was his first State of the Union address to our country. And to be fair, all things considered, it wasn't all that bad. It was a bit more conciliatory and coherent than some of the other speeches and rantings that he's had over the course of the past year. And for those of you who know me, you know I did not vote for this man to be the president of our country, but I will be the first to admit that if he hasn't done as bad a job as the media makes out, right? He hasn't been, obviously, there's a number of things we could criticize him for, but when you get past all the bluster and the tweets and the pettiness of who the man is, the policies that are being enacted aren't necessarily all bad for the country. But when you're talking about the issue of leadership, it's not always just policy. The person matters too, does it not? We might be different. We're in a bit of a different situation because we're not living under his direct authority in the sense that we're not answering to him every single day. But the man he is and the decisions he makes has an effect on us nonetheless. And so what are we supposed to do with that? And that idea is what we're going to be wrestling with this morning. For those of you who haven't been with us over the course of the past few weeks, our church is in the middle of a series that we uh, made the decision to entitle Game of Thrones. And this series is centered around the life of King David. As graphic and compelling a story, as graphic and compelling a life as anything that Hollywood has ever produced. Except where we come through in this story, King David is not a king. Not yet. We traveled through his childhood. That's where we started off two weeks ago with him being in the sheepfolds, taking care of his father's sheep. And then Samuel comes, God sees his faithfulness, sees in him a man after his own heart, and he sends his prophet, his judge, Samuel, to come and anoint David as the next king of Israel. But there's a problem. There is a current king of Israel, and that king is not yet ready to relinquish his throne. And then there's this war that takes place between the Philistines and the armies of Israel. And during the course of that battle, that war, Goliath, um, the Philistine champion, stands out and challenges the greatest warriors and soldiers of Israel to come face him one-on-one. No one does until David takes upon himself the challenge. And he goes down there with no armor, nothing more than a sling and five stones, and he defeats Goliath. The army is routed. David is a hero. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning, in the aftermath of that victory over the Philistines, over Goliath. And what it looks like, right, in the aftermath of this great victory, to live under the authority of a petty and jealous king. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came to meet King Saul. 
They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So David has killed Goliath. That's a story all of us are familiar with in some way, shape, or form. And in the aftermath of killing Goliath, the Philistines were terrified, and they began to ran, or run. They began to ran, run, ran. They began to run, and then Israel, the army of Israel, found their courage and started to pursue the army of the Philistines and routed them, killing tens of thousands of Philistine soldiers. And now they've returned home to the ancient version of a victory parade, which actually doesn't look all that different from the modern version of a victory parade. People from all these nearby towns were gathering together in the streets, and they were singing, and they were dancing, and they were making up songs. They were playing their instruments. And the song they made up praised David more than Saul, which makes sense if you understand what happened on the battlefield. David was the one who confronted Goliath, gave the army courage, but it didn't go over very well with Saul. And the king is not happy. How many of you all can relate to the feeling of being under the authority of a bad leader? The bad leader might be your boss, might be your teacher, might be your pastor, obviously before you came to Awaken, but uh, could have been, uh, it might even be, you know, a family member, you know, and, and, uh, and when I say bad leader, I want to be clear about something. I don't mean bad person, just someone who is a bit unpredictable, someone who doesn't communicate very well, someone who doesn't recognize the talent and abilities that you bring. Someone, a leader who has unreasonable expectations of you, and then when you meet some of those expectations, doesn't give you the recognition that you think you deserve. And you, you're not perfect. You want to work hard. You want to be a good follower. You want to give your authority your best. But there are times in the back of your mind when you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure they deserve it. And so you're frustrated. You feel trapped. You feel like everything you're doing is in vain. Being under that type of leadership is just difficult. So how are you supposed to thrive in a situation like that? Well, David can relate because that's the situation he is in right now at this point in the story. In an earlier verse, God shares David's heart And his heart was that David wanted to do whatever it was Saul asked and do it to the best of his ability. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. David wanted to make Saul happy. David gave him, or sorry, Saul gave David a great honor in recognizing him, bringing him into his court. But when Saul becomes jealous of David, when Saul heard David getting praise, that he did not. When instead of 
being uh, excited about David's success, instead of celebrating David's success and being proud of him, let him know that he was proud of him, he chose to become jealous instead, and that jealousy corrupted their relationship. Verse 10, the next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops in the battle. Can you imagine the confusion going on with David? He's been had a spear thrown at him twice by his king while he's playing the harp. And then afterwards, the king says, hey, I'm going to make you leader over a thousand men. I mean, that's just weird. David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Saul became jealous of David and wanted to do him harm. When he saw that the Lord protected David and was giving David continued success, Saul became afraid. Afraid. There was once a psychiatrist who said, I can cure somebody's madness, but I can't do anything about that person's badness. That's an interesting quote, isn't it? You know what's really interesting about this part of the story? Saul has made David his enemy. David has not made Saul his enemy. David is still trying to please his king. Saul made David his enemy. But if you understand the story, if you understand what's happening here, you realize that David was not his enemy. That was not, David was not Saul's problem. The real problem was that God had abandoned Saul and was now with David. And when Saul saw that, because this is what the text says, right? He saw the Lord in David, protecting David. What did Saul do? Saul didn't cry out. Saul didn't humble himself. Saul did not take his concern to God. Saul never dealt with the absence of God in his life. That was the problem. And instead of dealing with that, instead of dealing with himself, he found a scapegoat instead. He blamed David and made David his enemy because he couldn't deal with his own weakness, his own failure, and his own lack of relationship with God. You know, earlier I asked you what it, if you can relate to what it feels like to serve under the authority of a bad leader. So I'm going to take it a step further and ask you another question now. Right? What type of leader are you? What type of leader are you? And I don't mean the world's definition of leadership. When the world defines leadership, oftentimes what they're looking at is the person who has the title, people who have a position. And by that definition, there are a lot of leaders in the world. There are a lot of leaders like that, people who lead because they have a position, position like manager, boss, captain, supervisor, professor. How about husband or mom or dad? or pastor, or el presidente, right? 
According to John Maxwell, for those of you who read John Maxwell, he's a leadership guru who writes all these leadership-oriented books. He would say that leading because you have a title is the weakest form of leadership. People who lead by a title lead because they have a title. That's all that that means. And the only reason why people follow them is because they have a title. The title matters. They often spend a lot of their lives pursuing that title, but having the title doesn't make someone a good leader. Having a title doesn't make you someone other people want to follow, want to obey. Saul was the leader because Saul had a title. When you read the story of Saul, what you're going to find is his actual leadership. When you look at the things he does, it's often haphazard and ill-conceived. An example earlier in the, in the scriptures, we won't go back to it because I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but he was leading his men on an extended march to go into battle, and his decision was, because I'm so angry and I want to destroy my enemy so badly, I'm going to have my men fast. So he's having his men take no food, no water on an extended march, preparing to go into battle, right? That's ill-conceived and haphazard. Even his son Jonathan didn't agree with that decision. But that was the type of leader Saul was, that he often made decisions that had consequences on people that weren't good or for their good. That was the type of leader Saul was. And the only reason why people followed Saul was because he had the title of king. David was different. People followed David because they loved him and respected him. So Saul tries to kill David, and he tries to kill him multiple times. Even though the son of the king, Jonathan, tries to protect him, even though the daughter of the king, David's wife, Michelle, tries to protect him, Saul is relentless in trying to kill David. He will not be pacified, and so David runs away. Run away, run away. Anyway, uh, 1 Samuel 22 shares about him running away. So it says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his relatives joined him there. The others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt who were just discontented until David was the captain of about four Men. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. David has run away because the most powerful man in the nation wants to destroy his life, right? We won't make any analogies to our currency. Anyway, um, there's some people in our country who knows exactly what that feels like. So anyway, so David is on the run. And you have to understand, when David, when he's on the run, he goes to a priest to get some food and a sword. He goes to a priest called Ahimelech. And when he goes to Ahimelech, Ahimelech has no idea that Saul is trying to kill David, so he helps him out because David is one of Saul's most trusted men. Saul finds out about it, thinks that Ahimelech is a traitor. Not only does he kill that priest, but he kills 85 other priests as well, along with their families, men, women, children, babies, and all of the animals that were owned by them as well. That is crazy. It is enough to make a girl go vegan, right, Carissa? So anyway, right, all the animals, everything is destroyed. So it is a bad idea. If Saul is willing to do that to Ahimelech and all these other people, it is a bad idea to be friends with David. And yet despite that, 
his brothers come up to him. You remember his brothers, right? The ones who saw him on the battlefield with Goliath said, what are you doing here, right? So his brothers come out to say, hey, we're, we're with you. And 400 other men and all of the people who accompany them came out to follow David as well. What kind of leader are you? Are you a boss, a captain, a husband, a parent whom people follow because they trust and they love you? Or because you have a title and they don't have a choice? That's how my kids feel sometimes. It's okay. Difficult people and poor leaders make the lives around them difficult, right? That's what Saul did. He made life difficult for the people around him. Good leaders make the lives of those around them better because they care about the people they influence and they strive to be better. David is being hunted, and it's no longer him who's being hunted. It's now all 400 men plus all of everyone else who chose to be a part of David's crew. More responsibility, more pressure. So David is running in the wilderness, trusting God to protect him while the most powerful man in the nation is hunting for him. And this is where the story picks up in 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul <laughs> went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happens, there's no privacy in the Bible. So David and his men were hiding farther back in that cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy in your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of David's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. David has Saul in the palm of his hands. Not literally, that would obviously be incredibly gross, but King Saul is doing the royal squat in a cave where David and his men happen to be hiding. His men, David's men, see this as an opportunity what are the odds that this would happen? What are the chances this would happen? God has put your enemy by himself, all alone, vulnerable in your hands. Do something about this opportunity. And so David creeps forward while Saul is humming. I don't know how else he didn't hear David, right? So he's humming and David cuts off a part of Saul's robe. Okay, so I have this guilty pleasure. Uh, I enjoy scaring my wife. It's really, really fun, uh, and it's really easy to do if you know my wife. My wife, she's a little high-strung at times, especially when it's nighttime and especially when it's dark, right? She does not like the dark. And so this might be weird for you to know about me, but I enjoy walking around the house in the dark. So I like turning the lights off. I have no problem. I don't need a light. I know where things are. I just walk around in the dark. And so at night when things are shutting down, I just shut off all the lights and I just walk around because I know where I want to go. My wife hates the dark. She is blind in the dark. And there have been times when I enter into a room and she's walking and I just shut off the light behind her just for fun. And then when I shut off the light and she's like, she, so it's funny, when things get dark, she like stops. 
and then she shuffles along. And so one of the things I really enjoy is, is going right up next to her, and she doesn't even know I'm there. And I used to, I used to just kind of scare her. I used to touch her, tickle her, boom, you know? And, and she would jump, and she'd scream, and then she'd try and hit me. But it's dark, and there's no real shot of that. But then she told me that she really gets distressed over this, and I need to stop. So now I don't do that anymore. I just stalk her, and I stand next to her just because I can, right? <laughs> and most of the time, she doesn't even know that I am there. So I share this because as you're reading through this story, maybe you're wondering, why does Saul cut, I'm sorry, why does David cut off the hem of Saul's robe? And you don't have to wonder anymore. David did it because he could, Right? He simply wanted proof and says, bam, I had you, Saul. I had you, but I didn't do anything to you. Like for me, the satisfaction knowing I can scare him. I could have scared my wife, but didn't. That sad little empty pleasure, right? But David is a better man than I am because David felt bad about it, right? I don't feel bad about it, at least not right now. I might when I get home, but I don't feel bad about it now, right? And this is what I want you to catch from this story. Difficult people, bad leaders, can sometimes tempt us into making bad decisions. Out of frustration, because we want to sabotage them, right? A little passive aggressiveness. You guys, I don't know, I don't want to assume anything, but if you know what it's like to be under a bad leader, someone that you don't like or respect who treats you badly, passive aggressiveness kind of comes with the territory. We take these little joys and little satisfaction in making life just a little bit more difficult for them. And I think that's what David was doing here when he cut off the hem of Saul's robe, and that's why he felt guilty. David could have used this situation as justification to do what he wanted, but he didn't. David resolved to do things God's way and according to God's timeline. Let God deal with Saul. Verse 7 in 1 Samuel 24. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came and shouted out after him. So Saul's done with his business, and he goes outside, and David pursues him. And he says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes that that isn't True, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I'll never harm the king, for he is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves I'm not trying to harm you and I've not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyways? Should he spend his time chasing one who's as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. There is this fable about two eagles, and these two eagles 
flew together often, but one of the eagles was able to fly faster and farther and higher than the other eagle, and the slower eagle was jealous. And so one time as they were flying together, the slower eagle looked down and saw a huntsman on the ground. And so he flew down to the huntsman and spoke to him and said, I would like for that high-flying eagle out there to be taken out. And the huntsman looks at this eagle and says, I'm willing to do that. He says, but here's my problem. I have an arrow, and I have an arrow that needs some feathers. Will you give me some of your feathers for this arrow? And the eagle says, of course. So the eagle lifts up the wing and plucks a couple of feathers. The, hunter, the huntsman fletches his arrow, takes it, and fires a shot at that high-flying eagle and misses. The eagle is flying a little bit too fast and a little bit too high. And so the huntsman turns to the eagle and says, I'm willing to take another shot, but I'm going to need a couple of more feathers. And the eagle gives a little bit, a couple more feathers. The huntsman takes a shot. And this repeats itself a couple of times until the eagle on the ground realizes that he's given away so many feathers that he's no longer able to fly. And then the huntsman turns around and kills him. That's the fable. Fables end weird. But that's what bitterness That's what bitterness and jealousy does. There is someone who once shared this quote that I love and said that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't do anything good for you. And Saul is consumed with jealousy and bitterness. He's like the eagle on the ground and he doesn't even know the damage that he's doing to himself. David was not. And even more importantly, what I want you to catch in this is David did not want to. He did not want to get caught up in jealousy or bitterness. And that's why he came out of the cave. That's why he threw himself at the feet of Saul. And he said, no matter what you do to me, this is what I resolve. I will not raise a hand against you. That's the type of man David was. That's the type of leader that 600 men and their families and their followers left their home and left their homelands to follow. So anyone who knows me knows that this idea that leadership is really important to me, raising up leaders, being one worth following. Even in movies, I don't tend to cry over romantic sap, but I do tend to tear up when you know, leaders make covenants with one another, when heroes sacrifice, and that's what brings me to tears because that's the type of stuff that's meaningful to me. So when I look at a life like David, it's not hard for me to find something that I'm excited about imitating, something I strive to imitate. Right? Integrity when no one else is watching. Courage when facing our giants. And leading to make others better and to set the example. So much of, uh, so much of leadership, and we keep using this word, but leadership at its core is about influence. Right? In that sense, it's not a title. It's about influence and who we influence with our lives. So much of leadership is simply doing the little things right. Just be unselfish. Show up when you're supposed to show up on time, right? Think of others first and don't make things about you. Be the first one to volunteer. Love who you're supposed to love well 
and then be patient with everyone else. Be an example. Set the pace. Do what is right, even when no one else is watching, especially when no one else is watching. Brothers and sisters, it's okay to live this way. It is right that we should live this way. Amen? Next week, Andrew's going to lead us into the story of David and Jonathan. I'm excited about being able to talk about friendship. Uh, today, we will wrap up this time, and after this, I'll invite uh, Richard to come up and run through announcements. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity to take a look at the life of David and to not just learn from, but prayerfully to be inspired by. God, it is frustrating to be uh, under the authority of people who lead poorly and who set a bad example, God. And I feel like everyone in this room can identify with that idea in some way, shape, or form. It's just difficult, and they make things difficult for the people around them. And, and sometimes when we turn that mirror and we find that that difficult person, that poor leader happens to be us, that can be even more shocking and revelatory. And God, I pray, Lord, I pray that we would take to heart, Lord, this, uh, the example of David and set for ourselves the standard of wanting to do the things that would bring honor and blessing to the lives of those whom we influence, God. That's what leadership is really all about, to set the example to be a blessing and joy to others, Lord, to, show, to be there when you're supposed to be there, to be faithful in little things, to live lives of integrity, to speak well into the lives of others, to not make it about ourselves. God, there's so many ways. You've given us your word to reveal to us the way you want us to live, and I pray that we would not shy away from it and we would not read these things and see these examples and assume that it's meant for someone else and not for us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that you've given your life so that we might experience all that you have for us, and we pray that we would live lives of faith, of courage, of integrity. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning.